I, I never want to paint again because with writing programming and using hardware, I'm really creating things that sort of dazzle my eyes and dazzle my brain so far where um, the things that I'm making far surpass the human hand. You know, uh, if I had to sit in front of a canvas and try to paint half of the stuff that I do with programming, like it would just be impossible. Yeah, so welcome to Overtime, Joshua Davis. Are you ready to rock? <laughs> okay, already that's the best uh, intro that we've ever yeah, had. Yeah, so, so basically what's happened is, is that all the people who are freaked out about that have now left. <laughs> and all the people who completely relate to that are like, this is my guy. <laughs> which, is a, which is a great filter for like the audience, yeah. right? Now, now we know that yeah. we've, we've got our people that we can There's talk plenty of people who are like, I am out of here. <laughs> And we don't want those people to listen. Yeah, on, right, let's be honest. Right, right, right. I mean, if you're going to be scared off by that, I mean, come on. Yeah, let's see if I can not curse the, for an hour. Let's let's put that challenge. Well, that's can, okay. Can we, a, can we get a curse timer going at some yeah. point? <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Wix.com. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours with Wix. And we'll be talking more about Wix later on in this episode. Hey, so I on Vimeo, your bio is, yeah. and I love this. I write things, that dot dot things. dot, that make things. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful, and and that's kind of it makes sense from what I know of your work. And gosh, I've been a fan for so long. Tell us, you know, for for those that maybe aren't familiar, and I there's probably very few of you actually, but tell us what that means. You know, I write things that make things. Well, I think uh, you know across all my social media. Uh, one thing that I've always tried to do is not take myself too seriously. Um, yeah. you know, not, not to think that I'm too precious or that my work is too precious. And so my, my social media, uh, taglines have always just been really silly. Um, <laughs> you know, just to kind of keep it like, Hey, you know, listen, your next door neighbor has no idea who the hell you are. Like, let's bring it down a bit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think like my Twitter says, what does my Twitter say? Um, my Twitter's probably a little more professional. Yeah, day, it is. Is a designer, is, technologist, uh, author, yeah. and artist. Yeah, using creative what coding. Is my, what does my Instagram say? My Instagram says, uh, "I sell forms and color for a living." <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, those not, they're all true, though. They're, they're yeah, not, they, you know, they're not, they're not jokes or anything. It's it's true. Yeah, they're kind of like abstract representations of myself. Like, that's really what I do. Like, I sell blue and triangles, and people pay me to do this. Um, so I sell forms and color for a living. And then my uh, my Vimeo, you know, I think it's like I, I write things that make things. Um, yeah, yeah, I love and, it. And obviously, we can, we can go, like, way back. But, you know, I first got into computers uh, – the Commodore 64, I think, was my first computer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I think I had uh, writing basic for Commodore 64. But yeah, you know, I mostly just played video games. Um, <laughs> you know, it was great. Like a bard's tale, you know, like uh, you have reached a mountain pass. There is a sign. There is a rock. You know, pick yeah. up rock. You cannot pick up rock. Fuck rock. You cannot fuck rock. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has, has typed that. Has played that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I think like that was my first computer was a Commodore 64. Yeah. Uh, classic, classic. Yeah. And so my, my parents sort of got me into computers uh, pretty early. This is, this is like around in the eighties. Um, and I didn't really, you know, I kind of went the art path and we obviously can talk about my career as a painter at, yeah. you know, at some point, but, uh, eventually like in 1995, I, I sort of get reintroduced back uh, into computing and, and actually I, I gravitated towards Linux cause I couldn't afford yeah. a Mac and I really didn't know much about PCs and wow. I think wow. windows at the time was kind of expensive and yeah. you know, yeah. like DOS came on like a bunch of floppy disks. And, and again, I can't remember what the price tag was back in 95, but, uh, for Linux, you could, uh, you could buy like a. $25 book at the bookstore and they gave you a CD with the operating system on the back of the book. Wow. So Linux wow. was kind of my first foray into computing, which, which that 
that community and that sensibility will will come into play much mm. longer down the road in terms of embracing open source and giving stuff away. Yeah, blah, right, blah, blah, right. Blah, 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 blah. How fitting. But I get this, you know, I'm leaving out a lot of gaps, but there's this kind of aha moment where I realize, like, oh, I'm still a painter, but I'm just going to use this funny little box and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try to self-teach myself programming. <clears throat> and so that that phrase is like, I write things that make things um, kind of really holds true, which is I'm fascinated about this idea of writing in some kind of language that uses the power of hardware to produce something. And, mm. you know, I've made yeah. these, <clears throat> I've made these quotes over the past couple of years, which is, you know, it's like, uh, I, I never want to paint again because with writing programming and using hardware, I'm really creating things that sort of dazzle my eyes and dazzle my brain so far where, um, the things that I'm making far surpass the human hand, you know, oh, yeah. uh, if yeah, I had definitely. to sit in front of a canvas and try to paint half <laughs> of the stuff that I do with programming, like yeah. it would just be impossible. So I like this idea of like, I write things that make things. And, um, and it's very nondescript in the sense that a lot of times I'm writing stuff and I don't even know what I'm going to get. Um, and yeah, I sort of let the computer do what the computer does. And, um, uh, functions will run and and things will happen and all of a sudden it'll be like happy birthday here's a piece of artwork and I'm like holy shit <laughs> so a lot of times I'm sort of surprised by the computer um, so yeah that's I write things well, that make things is kind of my tag yeah I think it's beautiful it sums it it sums it up and you know, when I saw that I'm like that's that's brilliant and you know you said Linux you started with um, yeah how quickly did you you know, actually, well, 95, Linux and 95, you know, like graphically, um, were you immediately sort of hooked on no. using computers <laughs> to create art? Yeah, yeah. No, right. my very first computer was a 286 uh, PC. Mm. It was a 286 PC and it, uh, it, 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 uh, it connected to a monitor that was uh, amber. It oh did wow! Not, yeah, it did right. not do color. Monochrome, it was just monochrome. Yeah, yeah. You could either get one that was green or <laughs> right, amber. Right, right, green or amber. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm dating myself like crazy. If you could see a video <laughs> of me right now, I sort of look like Santa. I have a full white beard. Uh, I am your grandpa. Um, <laughs> I'm a grandpa too. Yeah. So, so you're in good company here. But uh, yeah, yeah 95. There wasn't even uh, a color video card so it <laughs> right. really just you know you plugged in and it was you either had an amber screen or a green screen and i had amber and at the time back in 95 um you know linux was really just command line for me and you yeah. have to understand like i was this weird kid man like i liked taking things apart to figure out how they worked mm. i would take apart radios and toasters and and believe it or not, like, <clears throat> I think maybe I was in junior high school, I was obsessed with Radio Shack and I would go up to Radio Shack and I would just buy shit. I would just buy like copper uh, boards and I would buy like re resistors and transistors. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> like, I would just, just I would wanted just, to buy them. Right? I would just wanted to buy this stuff yeah, because yeah. I was convinced like I was just, I was brilliant and I would be able to take it home and, build and God knows I would be, build either like a sex robot or a spaceship. Um, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So I would actually buy stuff from Radio Shack uh, just because, yeah. you know, this fascination with, with, Figuring out how things work, it's sort of like, a, I guess, maybe a, a quantum computing thing, you know, this yeah. idea of disassembling something to find the very small to find out how something works. Yeah. And yeah. so my mom will joke, like, I would take things apart and put them back together. The thing would still work as expected, but I'd have, like, leftover parts. <laughs> like, yeah. I would disassemble part of the thing and be like, why did they put this shit in here? They don't need this. <laughs> And uh, I was just that guy. Wow. Wow. So with computers, like I was more fascinated with the idea of like taking a computer apart, figuring out how it worked. Um, and now I've been building computers ever since um, uh, since 1995. So no, Linux at that time was was not fun. It was it was command line uh, just kind of 
tinkering. And then eventually I got a 16 color video card. And then uh, eventually I got a 256 color video card. And I remember I had this 256 color video card and um, wow. Like I just remember the heavens opening up and I just thought this is the best thing next to sliced bread. Like 256 colors. Are they crazy? (laughs) Who could possibly need Who more? could possibly use this many colors? <laughs> right. 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 Uh, and so then at that point, like I was using um, Slackware mm. and Slackware Linux um, obviously has the X-Free 86 window manager, which is the GUI that, that right. just sort of yes. like uh, it's, it's the GUI to the command line. So, you yep. know, um, so I got that uh, up and up and running. And uh, they had this thing for for Slackware called Enlightenment, and Enlightenment was like a a, a desktop manager that you could run on top of the X Free eighty six window manager. Half of your guests have now left because they have no idea what I'm talking <laughs> no, about. No, 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 no. But that's fine. No, Thank you for no. coming. <laughs> uh, but the the fun bit was is that it ran off of this thing called a Step RC files, and you had a Step RC file which was very similar to HTML. It basically was like a lookup document where you pointed to certain things on the desktop and then you could point it to bitmaps. So um, I was using mm. GIMP at the time. Oh, GIMP, which is, right. Yeah, yeah, graphical image manipulation program. Right. And I could make you know bitmaps and then you could use a step RC file to say, okay, use this bitmap for this, use this bitmap for that. And you would wow. restart Linux and basically like you'd have the Josh Davis desktop. Um Oh, wow. So I was designing my own, own desktops own uh, in Linux. And it's just funny because like, I didn't even know like that that was a job. Like I didn't know that like, mm. oh, that's called graphic design. And, you know, yeah, right, right. people have that as a, as a, as a job. And so obviously, you know, fast forward, but, you know, uh, get started in Linux. Then I start learning um, HTML and, uh, and JavaScript. This is Netscape 2. So this is yeah. maybe like yeah. this is like ninety yeah. six maybe right. Right. I'm bad with time. Nineties, so yeah, might yeah. have been ninety six, um, and that was like super easy. You know, you could view the source, and view source yes. was like a really great way for me to learn kind of how yeah. things worked. Amazing, and yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And I, I don't think it was until nineteen ninety eight, you know, some some three years after I started tinkering in this whole thing, that I realized like, oh. I'm a painter, but I, these are the weapons now. Like I can put down the the brush and the paints, and it's actually programming and and hardware is going to be my new my new weapons. So at that point, were you frustrated at all with technology or in in like visualizing what you wanted to do? Or uh, I well, that's a hard question because I I think yes and no. I think yeah. I was frustrated because. Um, I wasn't a very good programmer and I was self-teaching myself programming. It took me like maybe like six years to to really get comfortable with programming. And I was the kind of guy where like, um, and this is why I embrace open source. I, I like this idea of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to give it away and then people are going to fix it <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. make it better. Yeah. And then it would come yeah. back to me and I'd be like, oh, okay. So that's what Modulo does or that's what a switch case is, or that's what if else does, you know, like I literally was learning by giving away and people were just fixing my shit. Um, and I mean, this is where I meet Brandon Hall, like Brandon Hall was like really my mentor in the, you know, really early on. And he came up to me at a conference and he's like, I love what you do, but oh my God, you're a terrible programmer. And (laughs) rather being offended by that, I was like, well, great. (laughs) (laughs) how do how do i get better yeah and you like you know i really have to thank him for sort of kind of taking he's probably hates me i asked him so many questions (laughs) but you know he really took me under his sort of programming wing and and kind of taught me the things that i i needed um to know and to do and kind of best practices and it was always great because like i would write a program and it would be like a hundred thousand lines long and and brandon would take it and give it back to me and it would be 15 lines of code wow, wow. <laughs> and so i sort of learned wow. these <clears throat> yeah i sort of learned these shortcuts of how to of how to do things um hmm. and he was really instrumental in 
and, and making that happen. So to answer your question, I think I was frustrated at the time just because I wasn't really good at best practices and being able to program. But on the other end of it, I was just completely floored and dazzled because I thought this is like, oh my God, this has never happened. Like if you look at the art world, oh yeah, it was just like this, like this never has existed. Like this Mm -hmm. idea of being able to have an, a canvas through a screen and anyone in the world could potentially log on and see this piece of art was like, holy shit. Like this, there was that, there was that sort of knowledge that this is something that's never happened before. And so it was really easy to look back at my painting career, which my painting career, I mean, it was painting like people in the 15th century. I worked in oils. I did glazing. Wow. Wow. Um, it would take me forever to make paintings and I would sort of be sort of upset, like, you know, man, it's the 90s. And I'm painting like all these people in the 15th century. Um, and so the Internet was really kind of this thing where it was like, this has never existed. Like, oh, my God, you literally just caught the first wave. And, I've, you know, I've been obviously surfing it ever since. Wow. Wow. What language, by the way, are you when you say programming Linux in the in the 90s? I'm just curious, like what, what you're mm-hmm. using for tools like. Yeah. So, oh my God. Uh, (laughs) here's another funny thing. Like I remember, I think I bought my first domain in, I'd have to look up on, you know, obviously who is, but I think I bought my first domain 97 or 98. And the first domain I bought was siphon, C-Y-P-H-E-N.com. And it was a JavaScript color tool where you could put in uh, RGB color values and it would return the hexadecimal equivalent. And that was a project that I made because at the time Photoshop and Illustrator didn't support hexadecimal colors, but the web did support hexadecimal colors. So I made this sort of tool, um, to figure that out. So I'm using Linux and there was no tools. So I was actually SSHing into my server and I was writing code live in VI Oh, gee. Wow. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I was writing code live <laughs> in VI, which, you know, there's a bunch of people who are cringing right now who are probably saying, like, why didn't you use Emacs? Emacs was available at the time. But but Emacs was like super complicated. I didn't I didn't really understand. I mean, it was hard to for me to use just because it was so robust. VI was just stupid. You know, you it, there wasn't a lot you could do in VI. So it was much easier for me to, to pick up VI because there wasn't a whole hell of a lot you could do. So, so yeah, I was SSHing into my server and uh, writing code in VI. And at that time, I really was just writing HTML and JavaScript. Um, and those were really kind of the first, first, I mean, you can't even really call them programming. I mean, they're markup languages, but... Uh, getting comfortable with um, that first meant like, okay, well, now I want to do stuff, you know, on the server. Cool. I need to know Perl. Um, so I started dabbling server side um, using Perl. And then eventually, obviously, cascading style sheets come around. And then obviously, Flash comes around. Uh, ActionScript is very similar ish to JavaScript. So it was really kind of the stepping stone of, of really just starting off with HTML and, and JavaScript back in Netscape 2, uh, writing this all in VI. And then that was kind of the stepping stone to moving on to ActionScript. And, and now I'm doing stuff, um, kind of the three main, four main areas that I'm dabbling in is, is Arduino. Um, processing, which is Java, uh, and processing is kind of off to the side and I'm also doing stuff just in straight Java. So now I have this, this system now where I'm kind of coding in Java directly where I pull processing into. Um, and then I'm tinkering a little bit now with C++. This is mostly because I want to play in Unreal Engine um, a bit. Oh, yeah, sure. And so yeah, right. um, Unreal Engine is, is C++. So um, for the past couple of months, I've been slowly trying to get my feet wet into C++. And then really GLSL. Um, and I really end with that one because I really think that GLSL is the thing to know right now. Really? Um, hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you look at, I don't even, I haven't heard of this one. Oh my, well, WebGL, we, WebGL basically is, is, is GLSL shaders. So writing shaders, you have the ability to, you know, hang out in WebGL and do stuff in the browser, 
But then you have environments where, you know, C++ likes GLSL, um, uh, Java, you can do GLSL, but then you have environments like Touch Designer, which support it. Um, you mm. have environments like Unity and Unreal Engine that support it. So like right now, I'm, I'm really trying to build up my muscles um, on GLSL, which, which has been a, been a challenge for sure. So there's a, I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a, just going through your Vimeo uh, mm. in the past, you know, there's a displacement shader madness video, for instance. Yeah, that's uh, that's using shaders. Yeah, yeah right. Just the, st- the stuff it produces, just so insane. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and really the science behind it, you know, it's it's really not that complicated. You know, your your computer has a CPU, and your CPU really is kind of the Swiss Army knife of of uh, components in the sense that it tries to do everything that you could possibly want to do. Uh, on your computer, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. what does that mean? That means uh, it needs to accommodate somebody who is writing uh, uh, poetry in Word. <laughs> it means that it it needs to be able to like run a browser so that you can surf YouTube. It also means that guys like me need to be able to write programming on it and uh, make graphics. Yeah. So really the CPU is really kind of a bottlenecked piece of hardware because it tries to be all things for all people. Mm. Um, and so this is where you get into sh- writing shaders and writing shaders means, Hey, for a thousand dollars, um, you can put, you know, a top of the line, uh, GPU card in your computer and you can play video games. And, uh, all of the programming that's done in these video games says, I'm going to move all the hard bits all the stuff where I need to do a lot of calculations, I have to move a lot of pixels, I have to draw a lot of stuff on screen. I'm going to move that over to the GPU card because that GPU card only does that. Right, right, right. <laughs> it has no idea how to do any of that other bullshit. It just just knows how to paint stuff to screen really, really fast. Mm. So this this is what this GLSL stuff is, which is we're writing specific programming that moves all of the calculations over to the video graphics card. So that means when you're looking at my Vimeo, yes, those are videos, but those are videos of real time systems. So um, all of these animations and all these things that you're seeing on screen are animations that are running real time, 60 frames a second. Uh, So it means that you know, if I'm doing a concert for somebody, I can bring a computer with a really crazy GPU card in it, and I can have the sound guy give me an XLR, you know, into a mixer and that mixer going to my computer. I can get a video guy that can send me a video feed, and I can use those as inputs in real time to give visual resorts back. So um, that's a lot of, of what I'm doing now. And that's, I think mostly how I pay my mortgage (laughs) is, is working with bands um, to do these kind of unique, you know, one-off shows where um, these graphics are reacting in real time to some sort of, you know, physical input that's happening at that exact moment on stage. And that stuff that's you're live on stage or backstage or whatever with the band and you're doing this in real time. That's amazing. Correct. Yeah. So uh, you know, if 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 Taylor Swift does this uh, concert in Houston for the Super Bowl a couple years back, and she says, "What up, Houston?" You know, my programming can react to her voice making those sounds, displaying graphics on stage. You know, as it's happening, and so because everything that I do is algorithmic, meaning that it's unpredictable. You know, I'm I'm just sort of designing the guardrails for excitement to happen. Um, that means that every show is potentially different. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so yeah. Even with the same setup and software. And same right? setup. Yeah, yeah. The algorithm may trigger something completely different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were to follow a particular band around that I've worked with, um, every show could potentially be different, oh, wow. which which is exciting. Yeah, that's, that's super amazing. So from your website, there's just, uh, I mean, any one of these tiles from the index of your website, website is is just they're amazing. great I, iphone wallpapers man yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> right crack into that right, business. right yeah please <laughs> please click into them because they 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 do more than just um look amazing i mean the so this uefa champions league opening yeah. visuals yeah so i you know i'm looking at this and i'm like 
I can't even, it's just, it's mind blowing to me. If we took that as an example, like mm-hmm. how do you even begin that, that, and I know we, we don't have a, we don't have all day for you to explain how you create sure. this stuff, but, but, um, it would be cool to know, you're not, obviously you're not using, uh, uh, Linux with a monochrome screen anymore. You know, sure. how do you even begin to, to, yeah. to do that? Yeah. So most of the stuff that that's on my website is done in processing. Uh, I've processing, been using processing right. now yeah. for about six years. Um, and I've gotten really good at these kind of special techniques um, for, for kind of pushing processing to the, to the brink. Um, and again, it's, it's using a combination of, of Java processing. Um, I, I um, am a contributor to a library called Hype. There's a, a bunch of us that sort of contribute it. Yeah, so that's up on GitHub, and it's kind of a collection of things that do things. Um, so I'm one of the contributors to that, yeah. and it's using shaders, um, mm. uh, these these GLSL shaders. And so really, I really split the process into three, which is um, color, form, and algorithm mm. are kind of the three camps. And I try to make everything like super dynamic in the sense that um, – you know, if the first two things of the process are form and color, well, that could be anything. Uh, so I, I really have this library of programming that says, um, hey, here's how I'm going to handle color and here's how I'm going to process color. And so when I'm doing these UEFA Champions League uh, opening visuals, I've done them two years in a row. I, I did it this year with Dua Lipa and I did it last year with Black IPs. Nice. Um, I can work with um, the brand of black IPs and it's also sponsored by Pepsi. So I'm getting sort of two inputs from two, um, two entities here that are saying, here's what colors we like. And, you know, uh, obviously Pepsi has branded colors. And so I can start to build these tables of color. And, um, again, I, I give all this stuff away. I, I actually just started a, a Patreon account. So it's, yes, um, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. And, and I'm actually, I'm actually giving away how, how I do all this. I stuff. know I was, well, I wanted to ask about that too. Yeah. That's yeah. So, so yeah. the Patreon thing, so it's, it's patreon.com slash Joshua Davis. And I think I'm up to 22 videos now. And so far I did three videos called working with color. And I show these sort of tricks where I say, okay, I've got a client and here's how I'm building these color tables. And I, I literally build these like color maps and I can say, cool, I've got all of the colors that are going to exist for this, you know, opening six minutes of this, um, of this football match. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to form, right? So we set color off to the side and then form really is, is I'm making brushes, right? And, uh, the brushes are in the best example I can get is, is like, if you go to the art store and actually look at the section where they sell brushes, right. You've got fat brushes and you've got thin brushes and you've got small bristles and you've got long bristles and you have bristles that are made out of sable. So it's really, really soft. And you've got bristles that are made out of camel hair. So it's really, really coarse, mm. right? So there's all these different types of brushes that if you were to you know, buy a collection of them and bring them home and execute gesture on a canvas, you're going to get a specific kind of texture uh, based on the type of, of brush that you're using. Right, right, right. Well, my brushes are actually are, are black and white transparent PNGs. So um, I'm mostly making artwork in Photoshop or Illustrator, mostly Illustrator. And uh, most of my brushes are just black and white um, uh, transparent PNGs. So if I make a if I make a piece of artwork that's like a thousand by a thousand, and I just draw a four hundred by four hundred circle in the center, well now I've got transparency all the way around it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a a floating circle in transparent space. And if that circle is white, what I'm doing is I'm saying I've got this brush. This brush is this square that has a circle in it, <laughs> and I'm then pointing to the color and I'm saying, hey. Um, I understand you've built some color tables and can I take a color and apply it to this white, uh, transparent PNG? Uh, yes, yes. So white will absorb all of the color. Black will absorb none of the color. So that's why like all the brushes that I'm making or all the forms that I'm making typically are black and white. 
And so now I've got color, now I've got form, and then we move on to the third part, which is algorithm, which is how do I write sort of an invisible system that is going to move things in space that is going to point to the forms, the forms are pointing to the color, and all of a sudden I'm I'm now, you know, painting this universe. <laughs> and that whole process really isn't much different than how I, how I would think most designers work in Photoshop or Illustrator, right? You make a canvas, you pick your color swatches, you decide whether you're drawing, you know, circles or triangles or squares, and then you're sort of manually like, you know, laying them out on the space. I'm making those same exact decisions but usually those decisions have animation in some way. And I'm using a computer to make those decisions. I'm using programming to make those decisions, but based on rules. So I might say, this is a minimum scale. This is a maximum scale. This is a minimum rotation. This is a maximum rotation. You know what? These two forms don't like each other, so they should repel. Mm. These forms love each other, so they should adhere. And you can start to use all these sort of different um, concepts. And all of a sudden, you can run this program, it will execute that animation. And that animation is always running, always moving, sort of always algorithmically unfolding itself. And then <laughs> I'm just sitting there going, print image, print image, print image, print <laughs> image. And then at the end, you know, I could have a folder that has, you know, a uh, hundred images in it. And then I can sit there and go, okay, you know, that one's good. That one's good. That one's good. And, or, or maybe I should make this change and rerun it over again. So really like all the stills that you're looking at on my website site are images frozen from sort of an animated right. system. Yes. Now you may say, wow, that sounds really complex. Like, why would you want to do that? Um, it has been super helpful for clients because I remember a couple of years back, um, a buddy of mine, Tim Sassenti, was photographing this indie band called Fantagram, and uh, he was photographing them on a stage, and and then it just ended up that um, he projected one of my um, animations on their faces, took the picture, and it ended up being the album cover. Wow! Um, and so oh, they're like, okay, cool. Yeah. This is gonna be an album cover of these two people, and then you know, Josh Davis's weird geometric artwork is projected on their face. <laughs> And then you start to get into these conversations and you say, well, actually, you know, it's, it's a program that I wrote and um, it's actually based on animation. And here's some of the animation. A month later, I'm asked if I want to partner up with Tim Sassenti again and do their music video. So wow. same environment, but it was at print at one point. But now I'm actually able to take this animation and, and have it be part of their music video. Wow. And then you sort of say... Hey, you know, I should also probably tell you that this works real time. And if you ever go on tour, <laughs> uh, yeah, and right, next thing right, I know, right. I'm doing a show with them at South by Southwest. Uh, we did this uh, <laughs> unique show where I, you know, algorithmically projection mapped all the all the animations on the crowd and the band. And wow. and at one point during the concert, the lead singer Sarah is like, "I feel like I'm tripping acid," and I just thought, <laughs> "Well, that's a win-win." <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. And so it's it's fascinating because I'm basically working in this one environment that doesn't care whether the output is physical installation, Vimeo video, music video, or print. So it, for me, it's been this kind of ideal work process because I can output to so many different mediums, so many different platforms, where typically I think that becomes really difficult where, you know, maybe a higher graphic designer that mostly works in Photoshop or Illustrator, he's got to hand that off to, that becomes the album cover. He has to hand it off to somebody who tries to interpret it in After Effects for a music video. Then that person has to hand it off to another person for their live show. Right, you know, right. And right. it just becomes very complex to sort of navigate that chain. Or you could just hire me. Oh, no, I was <laughs> going to say clients must love that, right? Because you, you, you've created a system <clears throat> that they can reuse, you know, for, for all sorts of applications. Yeah, I'm actually flying to Chicago tomorrow because uh, I have a client in Chicago called Here, and I've done um, I've written some programs based on data. So they've given me a bunch of data. They're a um, map software, yeah. so they've given me maps of different cities, and I've taken uh, map data and generated all this artwork that is um, murals in their corporate headquarters. Wow. Well. The software that I'm running is based on animation, so they could always get a video if they wanted to. 
Um, but I'm also generating, um, and it's, it's funny, uh, I'm actually writing programs that generate PNG files that are 10 feet high by 25 feet long. <laughs> so I'm writing software that's generating 25 by 10 foot uh, PNG files. Wow. And, uh, which is crazy. I That's mean, insane. uh, yeah. at the end I get these P these PNG files that I have to convert into, I think it's PSB is the, uh, mm. uh, the large format for, for Photoshop. So, um, not only am I generating these huge murals, but I'm generating hundreds of them. And so I'm able to say, client here is, you know, a hundred, um, a hundred selects, you know, which ones are you liking? Oh, okay. Uh, kind of like this family, but I wish it was in this color. Cool. Uh, go make a cup of coffee, change the color part of my process and say, Hey, I need, uh, I need this to be in blue rather than red. And I can instantly within a few seconds generate, you know, a whole new series of compositions. Whereas if you were asking somebody that mostly worked in Photoshop or illustrator, that process could be very time consuming. Oh, it would be, yeah, it would be a nightmare. Uh, that's amazing. This week's episode is brought to you by Wix.com. With Wix, the web is your playground. Start with a blank slate and design your website in any layout you want. Work with advanced features like retina-ready image galleries, custom font sets, and sophisticated design effects. Each feature is intuitive to use, so you're in control from design to live. With Wix, you'll have real creative freedom to tell your story online exactly the way you've envisioned it. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours. Go to Wix.com slash dribble to get started today. That's W-I-X.com slash dribble. Wix, what will you create? So, you know, I, I wanted to ask too about, so you're using all these open source tools now. Mm -hmm. Um, some of which you're, you're creating yourself and contributing sure. to and, and open source seems to be a big, um, part of your workflow and, uh, sort of ethos and, and, but, you know, initially you got a, a lot of your work was flash, right. In flash and you, you got, it was. and, um, and you really, um, made a, a, a giant name for yourself in that community and, uh, wrote some books and, and all that. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder if I, we could touch on that transition a little bit, um, sure. you know, cause 15 years yeah. I worked in flash for 15 yeah, that's, years. That, that's a long, that's a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was it? Was it, uh, was it a gradual transition for you or, you know, or was it difficult to, to kind of, uh, to move, to move into on? flash, yeah, yeah, well, to, move to, to, move, flash. To, to move out of flash, I guess, uh, you know, I mean the action script, uh, they, they probably share, it, it mm. probably shares some programmatic similarities to other things. But yeah, I just wonder how, how the process was for you to make. That. Well, so let me touch on both. Yeah. I think moving into it was really easy. Yeah. Um, because I, I remember complaining in 1998 about having to write sniffer code. Like, were they on a Mac? Were they on a PC? Were they using <laughs> Netscape or were they oh, using yeah. Internet Explorer? And I remember being angry about that then. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just like, wow, you know, I'm going to move to this thing called Flash because, wow, if they just have the plugin, you know, what I write is exactly what yes, they see. Yep. So I dropped yep. HTML and JavaScript like super quick um, just because I was right. frustrated at wanting to sort of create these sort of graphic design experiences. And as long as they had the plugin, like it was game time. Um, yep. So moving yeah. into the platform was really easy. I found it really easy to walk away from HTML and JavaScript. Um, and it was really easy for me to move out of it as well. And yeah. funny enough, um, I left using flash and moved into processing, um, a month before Steve jobs had written that open letter oh, wow. and wow. for a couple of reasons. And, uh, the, the first reason was, is that I was, I, and I still kind of feel this way today and I'm probably going to get a bunch of people that yell at, yell at me, but the web is super boring right now for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. and I, and I kind of really felt that, um, you know, six years ago or however, again, I'm bad with time, so don't hold me to dates. <laughs> it feels like six years. Um, but like a month before Steve jobs wrote that open, open letter about killing flash, I really kind of hit a ceiling and a, a couple of things kind of had happened is one is, um, 
I had just finished um, writing IBM's Watson with Brandon oh, Hall. Yeah, right. And that was kind of like, oh my God, where do you go from here? <laughs> exactly, like yeah. you just write this thing. And at the time we really felt the weight of that project. Mm. Um, so I was sort of hired to design what Watson looked like yes, and, um, and how it was going to animate and, and how it was going to move. That was kind of what I was tasked with. And um, me and uh, Brandon built that in Flash. It was the last Flash project that I ever worked on. Wow. So really? IBM's really? Watson is actually wow. written in Flash. Wow. <laughs> um, and so I really kind of felt like that that was kind of a coming to, of, uh, of the end for me. And there was a lot of stuff that I was feeling. I, I was feeling like I was using Brandon as a crutch. Like he was so good and so far beyond me that I found it really easy for me to give up on the hard bits and just be like, oh, let me call Brandon and Brandon will help me write this thing that I don't know how to do. And so I was kind of feeling like I use Brandon as a crutch a lot. And I we had just finished IBM's Watson. Like, where do you go from here? The web was kind of getting super boring for me. Like I wasn't really interested in using it as a canvas to, to make art anymore. And I'm really speaking to projects I was working on like PlayStation or Once Upon a Forest, which really were kind of like web art galleries. They were, they were ways for me to make art and the canvas was the browser. So I was sort of losing interest in doing that. And then Arduino happened and Arduino was like, Hey, you want to use a sensor? Do you want to use a heart rate monitor? Do you want to use a motor? Do you want to use like, that was really uh, kind of the icing on the cake was like a microcontrollers and, and being able to use electronics and really thinking about like what the input is um, far more than I ever could. And, you know, I was starting to get into using 3d and, Flash didn't really do 3D. Uh, right, it kind right. of did two and a half D. And and so there was this kind of moment where there was this kind of like fight or flight moment where I was like, you know what? 180 degree turn. I am gonna leave Flash and I'm going to pick something that is just like way just a 180 degree turn. And I was like, it's gonna be processing. And it's gonna be processing because I don't know anybody that kind of works in that area like really really well so i don't feel like i'm like taking on a new crutch like brandon was for me in flash and um it also meant that i could tie into things like arduino and serial and do data and do um cameras and microphones and it was like a really easy transition i was like peace i am out of here because there is all this other stuff that's happening that is like really exciting this idea of of physical and digital, like, okay, I'm going to have a camera that moves, you know, things in 3d space and it knows that I'm there and there's depth to this. And, and it really, uh, was a really easy bye-bye, <laughs> <laughs> but it was weird because I had done this a month before, um, Steve jobs had written uh -huh. that letter. Made the announcement of, yeah. And yep. When that thing dropped, all these people were like, yo, are you going to say anything? And I'm like, about what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm over that. I've, I've been am, over that. I am so already out wow, the door. Wow, wow. And so for me, like I was just kind of like, I'm, you know, I was in Flash for 15 years. It kind of really taught me a lot of the stuff that I really wanted to know. But back to back to what you said earlier you know, I'm never really satisfied. Like I'm always kind of frustrated that, you know, certain tools really kind of sandbox you. Yep. And so, yep. you know, Flash really kind of put you in a box and there was only so much you could do inside of that box. And so I think I started to get frustrated again because I had ideas that the technology couldn't satisfy. And so um, for me, it was, it was nice to be able to jump out of Flash and into processing because I had, I had bigger ideas. And now again, I'm seeing this sort of happen again, where right now I'm like trying to teach myself, uh, unreal engine and C plus plus because, uh, of the stuff that you can do in there in terms of like making games or doing VR. Um, uh, so I'm slowly kind of making that little dabble transition into, into C plus plus and unreal just to see what I can, what I can make. But 
back then, like six years ago, I would say it was like a real fight or flight. It was a real like, I am going to fight to like reinvent myself in this new, this new environment. And if I don't make it, then I'm going to go work at the garden department at my local nursery because <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a go. Yeah. And uh, if it doesn't work out, then I'm just going to do something else. And um, so it was like a real moment. Like I was pretty scared because I just thought where, you know, oh, I can imagine. Wow, yeah. How do you spend like 15 years really comfortable in an environment? And how do you just walk they away, walk from, away it? from it? Exactly. Just walk away from it. And that's, that's what I did. And, uh, processing was a real learning curve. Like I didn't know anything about, um, display matrices or hash maps or, you know, it was, I was really starting, I really felt like I was starting from zero again. Mm. Um, I mean, I knew certain things like, you know, conditionals and for loops and how to write a class. Like I, I kind of knew those, those basic things, but processing was such a shift in terms of how you paint things and draw things that, I really felt like I was starting over and, and, uh, if it didn't work out, then cool. It'd been fun <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, see you later. But obviously it worked you know, out. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> Definitely worked out. And I was able to sort of, you know, evolve myself. And so I think this ties in nicely back to some stuff that we were talking about before, which is like, how do you not take yourself too seriously? And how do you yeah, yeah. always remain teachable? How do you always try to perpetually stay in the student? You know, like I, I always want to be curious. I always want to, you know, the goalpost always moves. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, a buddy of mine uh, posted on Instagram a couple of days ago, and he posted this quote where he said, uh, the thing that you are seeking is seeking you. <laughs> and I said, mm -hmm. Well, shit, I got a really a big problem because the thing that I'm seeking is to always be seeking. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Which I, is, I, I don't ever really want to be satisfied. I kind of always want to keep moving the goalpost and always being teachable and learning and, you know, being uncomfortable and collaborating with people that are outside of my comfort zone and trying new things. And in that process, like you're going to fuck up a lot. You're going to fail a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also you're sort of learning new things and you're always sort of remaining teachable. And, and I would say, you know, like, God, it's been, you know, eight, 18 years, 20 years that I've been doing this. And how, how do I do it? How do I, how do I, you know, remain relevant? And that's another question. I don't know necessarily if I'm relevant, but <laughs> no, yes, yes. But, you know, it's that, that always being thirsty, that always, remaining teachable that always trying to be humble and not taking mm -hmm. your work too seriously, I think just keeps you in a, a perpetual state of change and, and trying new things and adopting new things. And so, um, I, I don't think I ever want to be stuck in a, in an environment again for 15 years, like I was flash. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I, I, man, I agree with so much of that and relate to it too. I think that's that, that constant desire to learn I, that just paves the way, I think, for staying creative, yeah, I, you know, I think if, if you're not uncomfortable all the time, <laughs> yeah, or if you're yeah. not like always questioning, like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Like all the time, yeah. then you're probably not doing anything that's a value. <laughs> right, right, right. If, if you're comfortable and it's easy, then it's probably pretty boring. Um, <laughs> and trust me, I've been stuck there. Like I, I did a, a talk a couple of years ago. I, I give a lot of talks throughout the year. And a couple of years ago, I, I gave a talk called escaping success. Hmm. <laughs> and it was kind of like a weird controversial thing to talk about because I was saying like, Hey, there's all these people in this audience that are trying to find their style and find their voice. And I'm saying, cool, hope you find it, but don't let it define you in the sense that you can get so successful at something that you, you just end up repeating yourself. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I have fallen into that trap like hard. And um, if you're not, you know, if you're not uncomfortable or questioning every single day, you know, like, do I know what the fuck I'm doing? Um, <laughs> which is sort of a daily fight. Then, then I, you know, I sort of question, you know, like, am I making, maybe I should just stop making work. You know, like mm, if, if it's yeah. easy and if it's comfortable, then I'm probably not pushing myself hard enough. Um, and in that is, you know, in that quest to always be seeking and always remain teachable and always 
be trying new things means that you have to embrace failure. It means that you have to um, uh, wander and try things that are way outside of your comfort zone. And in that, you just you expand a little bit and you expand a little bit and you move into something new and maybe you get to a place that you never thought you were going to be a couple of years ago. And I always want to be that person. I always want to be excited every single day about the work that I'm making because, because there's that challenge, because there's that always moving of the goalpost. Yes. Super inspirational. And I totally agree. And, and I, it's funny because without without hearing that from you, but just sort of watching your career evolve over the years, you've made it look so natural and easy. And and it's almost like, well, you know, Flash came and went, but and and, and look at look at how Joshua was able to learn those new things and and then uh, push the envelope even more with the technology as the technology evolved, you know, it's just, it's impressive. Yeah. I think that's one thing that really bothered me about flash actually is, and I fought it forever. I hated being associated with the technology. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always hated being like, Oh yeah, he's that flash right, guy. Right. 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 That always drove me nuts because I was just like, flash is just the tool. And I do not give a fuck about this tool. <laughs> you know, like I care about like tripping myself out you're like, I want to make things that just make my brain and eyes melt. And if Flash happens to be that technology at that particular time to satisfy that particular need, then cool, yeah. let it be Flash. But when it was time to melt my brain in a completely different way, it was really easy for me to exit Flash. And I always hated being associated with that use. You know, it's mm. like, I never like look at Chuck Anderson and go, oh, he's that Photoshop guy. Like, no, he's just a graphic designer that has ideas. And I think most of us, I would hope most of us listening to this podcast, you know, we're just interested in, in being able to get familiar with the tools to let those tools um, execute the crazy fucking ideas that are stuck in our heads. Yeah. And to, to, associate that with a technology I always felt like was a disservice. Like I'm not a flash guy. I've just got weird. I just want to laugh my ass off and melt my brain <laughs> and I'm willing to use whatever technology it takes to get there. <laughs> and that's su such a healthy attitude toward anything. I think, <laughs> you know, in order to grow and keep, keep yourself interested in what you're doing and the focus on the, the actual work and not the, the process. It's beautiful. Mm. I, I, Thanks, so what's, what's next for you? I mean, and maybe that's hard to answer. There, there's so much, you know, so much going on technology wise. You mentioned VR and all. Mm. I can, I, I, I almost, <laughs> while you were, <laughs> while you were talking about stuff, I was picturing that I want to see a Joshua Davis thing happen where you, what you, what you're creating visually is actually being 3d printed in real time. I think that would be, uh, mm. that would be amazing. I don't know how that would work yeah. or like you'd need like this giant space. Things start yeah. forming and like, I don't know. Like, there's so much. So the possibilities are endless though, right? Sure. And I've tried it. Oh, have you really? um, <laughs> yeah, I have. Like I've written a couple of programs that I've tried oh, to man. output to MakerBot. Yes. Right. And right. Uh, so I, I have a few, I have a few MakerBot uh, prints of some of my algorithmic stuff. And I've got this one thing that's maybe the size of a grapefruit. And it took four days. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> took four days to print. Wow! Because I didn't know how to hollow out the inside. <laughs> it's it's a complicated. You know, listen, I don't. I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but what's next for me is, um, you know, if you could see my studio, one whole wall is just filled with shelves and bins, and in each of those bins, I have things like um circuits and cameras and sensors and mm. magnets and gopros and projectors and drones and ethernet cables and uh motion sensors and touch devices and arduino and, like yeah. it's a mad workshop in here mm. um I, sounds I'm, glorious i'm just <laughs> i'm constantly fascinated with again this physical and digital and i'm always trying to find mm. ways to say what's the input uh, how does the input maybe take on some sort of physical um, capacity and how does it interface with digital? You know, how does it visualize what you're doing? And so I've been teaching a lot of stuff uh, in workshops lately 
um, that do just that. So like, you know, every year I teach a workshop in Anderson uh, Ranch, uh, uh, which is in Aspen, Colorado. Mm. And we've done everything there from uh, CNC printing to uh, 3D printing to laser cutting. We've done uh, open computer vision. We've done leap motion. Like it's always been this this place where we're trying to mix physical computing with with digital output. And usually at the end, we either make like you know a visual animation, or we make prints, or with the CNC thing, we wrote processing sketches that CNC routed your patterns on skateboards. <laughs> like we're really trying to do sort of weird stuff. So. So I would say that the future is always like for me is is trying to keep going down that path and and finding new ways to use input, whatever that input be, whether it be data or camera or sound or sensor or microcontroller um, and and attach it to source these sort of digital experiences. Hmm. And I think it, it might be good to like point out, like, I don't really do a lot of projects a year. I think um, uh, this year I've maybe done three major projects. And, uh, I'm a studio of one. My studio only has my body in here. (laughs) Um, uh, I have an agent who obviously helps me figure out how to do contracts and and budgets and, and yells at me when I need to get things finished. (laughs) Um, but really my studio is just, just me. I, you know, I'm really just kind of, um, I mean, I have people that I collaborate with, but, you know, I think it's important to realize, like, I am not a big studio. I don't have employees. I don't have to take on every project that comes in to, you know, cut paychecks. Yeah, um, really and so it means I live real modestly. It's it's funny. I had this conversation once with Stefan Sagmeister. Um, I was having lunch with him and uh, I said, you know, I, I give talks at all these conferences and. And I'm pretty sure that most of the people in the audience make more money than I do. (laughs) And uh, I was waiting for Stefan to tell me like, well, here's how you make a million dollars. But what Stefan said is they should. Hmm. And I said, what? (laughs) And he said, they should make more money than you. Um, Because look at the the situation, you know, um, you're up on stage being able to do whatever you want to do. And some of these people don't have that luxury. Hmm. So they probably should be paid more than you because a lot of them are probably unhappy. Um, And so I was able to say like, well, how much money do I really need to make? Like how much money do I need to make over the course of a year to, you know, buy food and, and pay my mortgage. And, you know, I maybe only do like three projects a year and it's enough for me to, to sort of do what I do and, and still try to laugh and melt my brain. Um, but I don't make a a ton of money. Um, I sort of make just enough to, to sort of sustain the year, but fuck, am I happy? (laughs) (laughs) That's well, that's, that's the important part, right? I mean, Mm. and, and also like, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of your, your Patreon and, done some Skillshare stuff and your talks at conferences. Mm. I mean, I think we're, we're all thankful that you're doing, you know, you're sharing and you're giving back, um, to the open source projects. And that's just, that's, it's, it's very, uh, it's very commendable. I think not everyone, not everyone has that in them to, to, to want to share while they're learning something, you know? Well, again, it's, it, it, I, I got this argument like years ago when I was doing it with flash and people will say, why are you doing this? Why are you giving away the FLAs? Mm. And most people didn't realize is that if I gave something away, I would get it back like 50 times and 50 times people trying other things. And so I was learning, yeah. I was learning because it'd be like, oh shit, I, I never thought to do that. And that would end up fueling more of the creative process. So open source is very valuable in the sense that people do contribute and they contribute outside of what you know. And so they're going to do things you hadn't thought of that end up informing you. Um, so it just means that the inspiration is always moving, you know? And that's why, like, I always see these stupid ass things. Like how do you get over like, uh, creative block? And I, I don't know what the fuck that is. Like, I don't think I've ever there. I can't think back (laughs) over. I can't think, I can't think back over 20 years where I've ever been like, I don't know what to do today. Uh, that's never happened. (laughs) That's never happened to me. 
And why is that? And, and uh, I think it has so much to do with if you are willing to give stuff away, people are going to give back to you where like literally I have sketchbooks of ideas that are spanning years of ideas that I still haven't gotten right. to there's yet. There's just not enough time. And right? so there's not enough time. Yeah. There's not enough time to like to embrace like all these paths that people have helped, you know, point me into certain directions. And op- the open source does that. Open mm. source says, hey, you have one simple idea. People will give you that idea back with 50 mutations. Mm. And so there is never a moment where I say, well, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to do today. That's never <laughs> happened to me. Um, so let me just say this. Yeah. Um, the Skillshare thing is nice. Um, you know, Skillshare is hard because I really have to like come up with a class. I have to come up with um, a syllabus. I have to work out all the examples under that syllabus. Yeah, so it's work. really time. It's, it's a lot yeah. of work. And I've done three classes. The first one is intro to generative programming. The second one is a generative programming animation. You know, it's like how you do the music video mm-hmm. stuff. And then the third one is painting with sound. It's how to use sound to make awesome. audio reactive graphics. Um, those have been great. Those have been fun. I've been really thankful for those. But Patreon really is my new jam. Like I'm spending most of my energy on Patreon now, which is, you know, hey, it's cheap. It's two bucks a month. Like you help me buy coffee and cigars. It's per, it's like it's a you're subscribing to the Josh Davis magazine of weird and wonder. Um, it's like a magazine subscription. Each month I try to post, you know, one thing or multiple things. And I'm trying it. What's nice about Patreon is, is it doesn't necessarily have to adhere to one syllabus topic like Skillshare right, does. Like right. um, I can go like all over the place, yeah. like one uh, one class on Patreon. I said, hey, you know, here's how we do stuff in command line. Here's how you do homebrew. Here's how we do FFmpeg to like cut and edit video in command line. Like I'm trying to think about all these tools that have just helped my career so that I can sort of pass it on to the, to the next people. Um, and so these 22 videos, like I'm co- covering everything, like the very first video, I tried to structure it like way back in the very beginning. So the very first video is how the hell do you set up? Like, how do you just start being this person? Yeah. And so the very first video is like, here's what I use. Here's how I set it up. Here's the tools that I'm using. Here are some of the shortcuts that I take. And so I've been sort of like slowly unveiling like how it is I do all these sort of tricks and tips that have taken me 20 years to figure out. And you only have to watch a 20 minute video. So, you know, here's a great plug. If you're interested in learning how to do this stuff, it is easy. It is. I will help walk you through the entire process and and the Patreon platform has just been really awesome because again, I only do like three projects a year. So um, being able to talk to a community and make cigar and coffee money has been, has been awesome. (laughs) Cigar and coffee. Yeah. It's, I mean, I want to take them all now. (laughs) I really do. Cause you should, because I, you know, I don't just specify, you know, I don't just stay on processing. Like again, you know, I'll show some stuff like, Hey, here's, here's FFmpeg and command line. And here's why it's awesome. Mm, yeah. And here's how you can, you can output to video, but here's all these shortcuts that you can do that have been, that have been super helpful. Um, oh, so, uh, eventually we'll cover Arduino, like, because it's not tied to one universe, it means that I can say like, okay, cool. Here's cameras that I'm using. Um, mm. uh, here are cameras that I'm using for these open CV things. And it doesn't care whether you're writing open CV in processing or open frameworks or, or whatever. So it's been a cool platform to me able to be able to cover like sort of a wide range uh, yeah. of, of, of topics. Yeah, rather than uh, so, with a Skillshare or, or online course where you're really preparing really locked in yeah, and you have to do so much yeah. preparing ahead yeah. of time to. Yeah. 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 So the Patreon thing, like I hope more, and I, it, it, you know, not only am I doing Patreon, but I'm supporting a lot of people on Patreon. There's some really oh, yeah. great people that are using that platform, everything from musicians to quilters mm-hmm. to, you know, whomever. Um, so there's about five people that I support now on, on Patreon itself. And I, I think it's like a really great way to say, you know, I love your content that you're posting on Instagram. Please keep doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, right. Please keep sharing. You yeah, know? yeah. 
you know, so I just got Josh Smith, you know, Hydro 74. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I just told him about Patreon and he's on Patreon now. And I love Josh Smith. I love his, his vector work. And, yeah. and it's a way for me to say like, I love everything that you post on Instagram so much, you know, here's five bucks a month so that you can just keep doing yeah, that. That's, that's super great. So, uh, really I love the whole premise of that. It's awesome yeah. platform. It's awesome. Um, well, geez, I, Hour and six I knew minutes. that was going to see, I told you in the beginning, oh. I'm like, it's going to be really hard to just kind of, cause we, you know, there's some things that we didn't even, I didn't get a chance to ask you about like dreamless and, um, dreamless was kind of like the really first hidden weird cult communities. And it's just so funny how like threadless yeah. is created out I, of dreamless. I, I, like there's yeah, just, I yeah, read that and I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, they ran a T-shirt contest on on Dreamless, and then like the three guys were like, "Hey, we should start a company." That's incredible. <laughs> um, Dreamless was great. It was yeah, it was kind of like before Facebook, before Twitter, you know, before everything. It was a really great community of people that loved and hated one another, <laughs> <laughs> like any good community. <laughs> like any great community. I mean, yeah, I, I that that was like a, a a seminal time for a lot of folks, and a lot of inspiration came out of that. And so, and yet another thing that you've shared and uh, were part of that that was important. So, thanks for all that. Yeah, and thanks for being here on this on this little show. Second podcast. I think this is the second podcast I've ever done. So that's shocking. Did I do this me. right? Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> you, you. I feel like it was like a master class in uh, just about everything there. So really, really appreciate it, uh, Joshua Davis. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. This has been Overtime Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cedarholm. And thanks for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks again.